One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth. And, man, we've got a great episode for you this week. And that's because I interview my friend Emily Holslander, the other half of Guyville the Duo. Uh, a few months ago, I interviewed Kat Hamilton, who is an amazing solo artist and played in a band called Manic Pixie, and then is also in this duo with Emily called Guyville, the duo. I think it's just called Guyville, but if you want to find them on Instagram and whatnot, it's Guyville, the duo. And so this is the other half of that duo. Emily's also a solo artist and is the main creative behind the band Social Drag. She's a great songwriter, great musician, and just an overall interesting person. And I was really happy to get to know her a little better, ask her some questions about her life, her relationship with music, where it all comes from. She told me some really cool stories of when she was a kid and later on and her life in Boston and New York City and now LA. It's a fun episode. And, uh, we kind of get really into the nitty gritty of, you know, what it means to create and, and getting over being afraid to release stuff or, you know, changing as an artist. It's just like a really solid conversation between two artists. And I think you're all going to really enjoy it. Before we get to it, as usual, um, well, before we get to the usual, I know my voice sounds kind of weird. That's because uh, I caught the Rona, the COVID. Um, I'm on the mend and I should be fine within... A handful of days, I'm hoping. I don't really have any symptoms anymore. I'm a little congested, and I've got a slight cough here and there, but I'm way better than I was a couple days ago, and I should be fine in a few days, I'm hoping. So don't worry too much about me, but I am missing out on a week's worth of work. So that brings us into the next topic. If you want to help support the show at all, a great place to do that is to go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and sign up to become a patron over there. Patreon, if you're not familiar, is a really cool platform in which you can support artists and creators and just projects that you find meaningful and that you think deserve that extra financial support each month. And so you choose what tier you want to sign up for, whether it's three, five, ten dollars a month, you can sign up and you get a different level of access to me and the things that I create and you get discounts on merch and, and tickets to shows and whatnot. It's it's a pretty cool deal and it's a great way to support the show. It's a free podcast and it makes me just able to keep doing what I'm doing. So patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth if you can go there. Check it out, sign up, throw us a few bucks each month. It honestly makes a huge difference for us. Whether you know it or not, a few bucks to you each month may not be a whole lot, but for me it adds up and it becomes a very significant part of how I just make it all make sense. So patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth. Thank you so much. Thank you to my patrons that are already over there. You're the fucking best. I'm just so, so grateful for you and for your support. Another way you can support the show is by buying some merchandise. CharlesEllsworth.Bandcamp.com. You can check out some of my music over there. I recently released Chuck Goes Acoustic Volume 1 with a few cover songs I recorded on my own. I'd like to do more stuff like that over on Bandcamp. So go on over there. Uh, check out the merchandise we have for sale. Check out my music. And it's a great place to support artists. They're one of the best platforms to support independent artists so go check it out check out my stuff check out other stuff if you're not familiar with Bandcamp, you should be it's a really cool thing if you're not in a position to support us financially right now because you know this economic downturn is affecting you poorly as well 
no worries. I totally understand. And the great news is there's ways you can support the show and me without having to spend any money at all. And one way to do that is by enjoying the show and sharing it with your friends. If you like the podcast, be sure and tell a friend about it. Maybe each week just tell one friend about it. If you like a certain episode and you think it's going to be something or might resonate with someone you know, please send it to them. And then also make sure you're subscribed to us, whether on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us, leave us a rating, five-star rating if you can. That'd be awesome. And a review. You can just write a short little review saying why you like the show, and that helps get the show out to more and more people. I say this at the beginning of every episode, and we don't really get many more ratings and reviews. So please, if you've listened to like three or more episodes and you're not a patron or anything like that, think of it as your way of saying, hey, thanks, Chuck. I appreciate this. Here's a review and a rating. It would make a big difference for me, and I really appreciate it. Another way you can support us without having to spend any money is just wherever you listen to music. If it's Spotify, if you listen to music on Apple Music, Tidal, any of those things, my music is on there. Charles Ellsworth is my name, and that's where you'll find me. You can just find what songs you enjoy. If there's some that you like more than others, add them to your playlists, add it to two playlists, send it to your friends. I got a lot of music that I've made over the years, and I'd love for more and more people to hear it because I really like everything that I've made. I'm really proud of it. I don't have children. I've got albums, and those are the things that I'm most proud of in the world. So please go find out a little bit more about me and my journey throughout the years by listening to my records. I also make music under the name A.B. Chediskai, that's C-H-E-D-I-S-K-I. And it's all instrumental guitar music where I'm just kind of improvising. I hit record, improvise a part, and then I'll lay some other parts over it. And it just really kind of ethereal and just a way of kind of getting ideas out quickly and not overthinking it. It's a pretty cool uh, meditative thing for me, and I think I've got some pretty cool tunes there. So if you like instrumental music while you're coding or while you're writing or studying or whatever it is you do while you're sweeping the floors be sure and check out ab chetisky on spotify apple music whatever also add it to your playlist that helps me out and with this week of work i'm missing this week because of the covid every little bit makes a big difference it would really really mean a lot so thank you so much for doing that thank you for being patrons of the podcast thank you for listening to the podcast thank you for listening to my music coming to shows all of those things. Kind of a mellow season for me as far as playing shows. I've got one next month in October at The Depot in the Baltimore area from 4 to 7, October 16th. We're going to be playing with Icarus Phoenix and one other band. It's going to be a lot of fun. Full band. First time in Baltimore with a full band, so you got to go check it out if you're in the area. Please, please, please tell your friends about it. It's going to be a really fun night. Evening. Evening, I think. Yeah, four to seven. It's an evening. Beyond that, there's more shows being planned, more shows in the works, November, December, before the end of the year. And then I'm also planning a pretty extensive tour for March. So keep listening to the podcast. You'll hear more about that as it unfolds. I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who just helps make this all possible for me. When I'm on tour, it comes to shows and throws money in my tip jar, buys a t-shirt, all of the things. I know to you, it's just like, ah, oh, Chuck's in town again and I'm going to you know, buy a t-shirt or, or a record or throw him some dollars. And I know it's like... I don't know, it just might seem kind of routine for you, but like it means so much to me and it makes, I, I just, it, it kind of overwhelms me when I think about the people that support me and, and help me be able to like make any amount of money doing this and be able to spend any amount of time focused on writing and creating and making a podcast and traveling and all of those things. It's, it's such a just lucky and beautiful thing that I'm able to do. And it's all because of, you know, you listening and, and those of you that aren't listening that are, that are, eh, those of you that aren't listening that are out there that have supported me throughout the years through music or whatnot. I just, 
I'm just so thankful. I, it means so much. And, you know, it's been a weird couple weeks for me. I've had some weird, like, kind of bad luck and uh, just kind of strange things happening. And um, the thing that's kind of, like, kept me going is, like, dude, you right now is kind of weird and, and rough or whatnot and unknown but like you're pretty lucky son of a bitch you get to fucking go on tour and you get to play songs and make records and you know have a podcast and people support you doing that and people show up and, and appreciate it when you do that and i just feel so lucky if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with the stuff that i create please go check it out online it, it's you know what i what i'm most passionate about and what i live for so thank you so much for listening to the podcast i'm excited for y'all to hear this conversation my friend emily and i get really in deep about it and i think i think it was really good so like i said i have the corona so there's some spots where i'm kind of coughing or whatnot i tried to edit them out but you know i might have missed some so i apologize in advance a little foggy brain wise but here it is a dirtbag's guide to life on the road featuring my friend emily holslander Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, it's been a crazy and busy week, but uh, but I'm good. Yeah, you uh, you had a gig today? Yeah, yeah. We did a pop up show at my friend's uh, my friend's pizza shop on the sidewalk there in Park Slope. It was really fun. Oh, fun! Oh. New York is amazing this time of year. Right before fall, the leaves start turning. It's like 72 during the day. I miss it. Yeah, it was like perfect. You know, like I had pictured how this afternoon would go for like a long time. I've been wanting to do a show like that for a long time. And it turned out like as good as I imagined. And that like never happens. Well, that's so, great. I feel really grateful. Yeah, thank you. As you should. I am yeah, uh, in the Whole Foods parking lot. <laughs> I'm on about two hours of sleep. Um, I sang at uh, Beer Fest yesterday in a, in a 90s band. and It was so much fun. But it was a very, very, very long, tiring, awesome day. So I'm just like, woof, trying to... Yeah. Be healthy again with a smoothie. It's amazing what a smoothie can do for you. Just some fruits no, and vegetables. Well, as it amazing. should for $9. <laughs> if I'm not a new person after this $9 smoothie, then I want my money back. Yeah, good luck with getting your money back on that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you. Right. If you're going to pay $9 for a smoothie, it better make you feel like a fucking king or queen or, or a yeah. non-binary royalty. Do we have a word for non-binary royalty? I know I'm probably not the no. person to ask this question, but... Uh, I don't think we do, but uh, I identify as queen, so... There we go. You can call me that. <laughs> um, cool. I uh, Well, I'm glad we finally caught up with each other and, and caught each other and we were able to the stars aligned and the planets aligned i guess is the saying and we're able to uh to actually get on this this call together and, and have this conversation so i'm so glad to have you here emily oh me too i'm sorry it's taking a minute to get it together but life it's, all, you know? it's okay it's like ships in the night you know it happens it happens ships uh, in the night um yeah how i i kind of want to first ask how do I properly pronounce your last name? 
it is whole slander. It just That's kind of rolls off the tongue in that exactly as it sounds. Way. Whole slander. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, if I ever get married, I am ditching that last name. I love my love my dad, love that side of the family, but it is a doozy. So, yeah. I mean, I think it would make a great band name. I think I said that before. A band called Whole Slander. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. I think I, I said mean, that when you were out in New York this summer. Why <laughs> well, maybe not I just start another it. band? You know, how many bands is too many bands? Three, four, five? I don't think there's such the a thing as too many bands. <laughs> You're like, take it from me. Anything more than two is just stupid yeah. yeah i mean if i if you can make it work i'd play it you know play in as many bands as possible be dave Grohl if you can but oh, um right not everyone is dave Grohl. i'm just kidding that's Hashtag. just what comes to mind i don't know how many bands he's in Grohl goals we should start Grohl a goals. podcast called Grohl goals <laughs> or oh, just and like goals the, if it's spelled o-a-l-s <laughs> the um and like the whole point of the podcast is to just someday get Dave Grohl to come on and let us interview him, and then after that, like the it's over. We don't do any more podcasts. <laughs> yeah. See how many episodes it takes for us I to get to Dave Grohl on the podcast. <laughs> I think that'd be. I think it's a very, very worthwhile endeavor that we should probably, we should talk about this off off mic at some point. I would love that. <laughs> and if Dave Grohl's listening. Just know we got some material coming your way. Yeah, Dave's been a longtime fan of the podcast. So what's up, Dave? How you been? It's a... What's up, Dave? It's nice to know Great you're listening. Great show at Wembley last week. <laughs> Great show at Wembley. Great show. Yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, um, so, Emily, please just take me back to the beginning. Where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I am from uh, the middle of Pennsylvania. Not Philadelphia and not Pittsburgh. Believe it or not, there's an entire state outside of those two cities. Um, it's a smaller city called Williamsport, Pennsylvania. You may have heard of it from the Little League World Series every summer. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that's where I grew up. My parents kind of, uh, you know, what's the word? Um, serendipitously both ended up there. They're, neither of them are from that area, but... Uh, they met, fell in love, and had two kids. So we grew up there in a really wonderful place to grow up, you know, just beautiful nature, and we were outside a lot. And uh, my parents were part of this really kind of Montessori-type school, um, you know, very hands-on experimental learning. We had an hour of music every day that my dad would lead on his guitar, and we'd all sing and play songs. And yeah, I just it was a really wonderful place to grow up. A great high school program too. Great music program in high school and lots of athletics and yeah. Um, so I'm from there, and then I just kind of, you know, through exposure, I guess, wanted to leave Pennsylvania. So I graduated and went to school in Boston, and um, I went to a two-year school to get my associate's degree in liberal arts, and then I ended up at Berklee College of Music for three years. After that, ended up in New York for like six and a half years, and now I've been in L.A. for five and a half. 
So that makes me 22 when you do the math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that all adds up. That definitely adds up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, that's a, that's a really cool. I, um, you know, when we first met, I didn't realize you had lived in New York until we, we saw each other out here this summer and yeah. you mentioned that. And so, uh, that's really cool. I, um, I'd love to hear about what the plan was or how you ended up at Berkeley College of Music. Were you always planning on pursuing music or was that something when you were getting your associates, you kind of realized that you wanted to do? Like, what was that relationship like? You know, I, I always like knew I was musical growing up um, for lack of sounding pretentious. It just always came very easily to me. You know, I could sit down and, and play anything on piano and, I taught myself guitar using a Beatles songbook, and I just it just seemed easy. But I never really intended to study it or pursue it, you know, academically. Um, I knew I wanted to go to Boston and go to a small school, and so I, I like kind of planned on being like a history teacher. And just you know, at that point in my life, I had started writing songs at like 15, but I wasn't like obsessed with it yet I was just like oh this is fun you know I can create and uh -huh. play some instruments I always sang too I was singing before I was talking like most singers you know um, uh -huh. and then I was at yeah so I was at that smaller school and I had a really good friend from my hometown that was at Berkeley he's a few years older than me and he would just geek out about it all the time and he knew I was fairly musical and he was like you gotta apply here like this is the most amazing school like, I think you could get in, blah, 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 blah. So I did. I, I applied, and um, I did get in, and it was really amazing. You know, like, I, I enjoy – I always say that my college years, quote, unquote, were spent before Berkeley. Like, that's when I feel like I had, like, the college experience. Then when I got to uh -huh. Berkeley, I was living on campus. I was actually in a band at that time, too. And, like, so I didn't come in as, like, a freshman straight out of high school that had, like – been diligently playing and studying music you know it's just kind of like oh I have a musical background and you know try this on for size and luckily I got in and you know I I think the best thing about my education there was just the the networking that you you did with your fellow peers and classmates you know and like I'm uh -huh. still very close to them today and they're everywhere so it's like you know you can be in Los Angeles 10 years removed from college and you meet someone who was in your class and it's like, Oh, this person's a composer. Oh, great. I write songs. Let's work together. And it's just kind of this like handshake of like, Hey, like you get it, you know? And, and it is a really, really well-rounded musical education. Like when you graduate at that point, you know how to write fugues, you know how to conduct like your, your theory and your harmony are really on point. Like, you know, they make sure that it's a curriculum that's not just like, you can breathe by the seat of your pants and you feel like a well-rounded musician after attending. So I'm very lucky that I had the opportunity to go there. It was, it was a really good experience for me. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's great, great to hear. I, uh, I've, I've heard, heard mixed reviews about different people's experiences at Berkeley. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I also like, like but, but nobody's, nobody's ever complained, complained about, the quality of like, I mean, of like the fact that you're just immersed in music and, and like how, how like knowledgeable the staff is and your, your um, fellow students and everything like that. Um, then, yeah. Sorry. 
not to cut you off, but like it's um, you know it. What was I gonna say? I would always when people would complain, I'm like, okay, well, look, I could either be writing a biochemistry paper, or I could be writing like a piece of music, and that's like what I need to complete that semester. You know what I mean? Like, which would you rather do? Like <laughs> something that you're passionate about, or you're doing just to get a degree, but you're not actually like into that field. So it was an education, you know, and it was an enjoyable education because you enjoy playing music. So like you ultimately, for me, enjoyed learning about it too and the ins and outs of theory and and all that, you know? Yeah, totally. That's something that I feel like I, I always shied away from. I was like always kind of intimidated by it and growing up, like music was something I was always kind of around and I was always kind of a, a participant in, but I wasn't, like people I knew, it came, feel like it came to more naturally to them. So I was kind of intimidated because I wasn't like as good at it. And like sports and things like that came a little bit more natural to me. And so, um, so like I kind of shied away from music theory and things like that for a long time. And I kind of would like discredit myself um, until, you know, more recently when people are starting to, you know, I try and like say like I don't, I don't know i'm just hardly a guitar player and people are like fuck that no no you're not like jared my bass player like won't put up with me saying shit like that anymore because he's like dude you're you know it's just i don't know it's just like a different route to where it's just like i just played guitar for 20 plus years and eventually i kind of figured it out <laughs> yeah i kind of wish oh, i had pursued an education in it you know well i mean good on jared you know for reminding you that because he's absolutely right i mean look i you take a, yeah, a short list of some of the best musicians, you know, societally speaking of all time. And, like, I guarantee you most of them didn't get an, an education in music. So it doesn't it, – it's helpful. It certainly doesn't hurt to, to have, mm-hmm. you know, certain skill sets learned in an educational setting. But it's not necessary. Everybody knows that, you know. So, like, you, you got from point A to point B, like, without – tens of thousands of dollars in student debt. So, like, good on you, you know? <laughs> You're yeah, still I mean, a my student debt was... And you know how to play, and you don't really need it, in my opinion. But it doesn't hurt. That's my official totally. stance. I, yeah. Yeah, my, my education money was spent on other stuff that I could have learned on YouTube. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, but um, I would... I don't want to make this all about me and I tend to do that. So uh, when you, you said when you were 15, you started writing songs or you had already been writing songs around that time. How did that come to be? Like what, when do you remember like the first song you ever wrote or do you remember oh, yeah. like a oh, time yeah. when, Oh, you do please tell me about that. This is actually a pretty interesting story. Um, the Temptations came to my hometown. They were playing in this, mm-hmm. you know, big theater and my friend's mom happened to run the desk at the hotel they were staying in. And she was like, oh, you know, I got to know them. They're staying here. And they say that they always bring a singer up every night to sing My Girl. She's like, I'm going to tell them that my daughter's friend wants to sing, which is me. And I'm like, okay, you know, like scared uh-huh. shitless. But so they call me up on stage in front of probably, I don't know, a thousand people, maybe 1,200 people. And I start singing the first couple bars of my girl and you know whatever they finished the song I'm backstage and their manager kind of approached me and he was like wow you know 
people are usually pretty bad, but that was pretty good. Like, do you do you have any songs? And I was like, no, but I could. And honestly, that's the reason I started writing songs, because I just had this an, a visceral reaction to the idea of sending a cover to him. And I was like, you know yeah. what? I'm going to try to write something original. So I sat down, and I just started strumming these chords in, like, a kind of slightly Motown-esque feel and just mm-hmm. wrote the song and um, ended up, you know, going to a, a little studio and making a little three-song demo EP. And I sent it over to him months later and, like, not, you know, kind of crickets back. Or maybe he was like, oh, this is great. We'll be in touch. And then nothing. Um, so mm-hmm. my dad always say like that was your big shot <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that was that was the reason i started writing um so i'm very grateful for the temptations because uh i don't know how else i would have maybe gotten the creative bug to create original music but after that it just was like just you know just became fun and and ever since i've been writing you know i i, I can't even um really fathom the idea of singing other people's songs. I mean, I, I do cover gigs all the time, but I mean, like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine releasing a song as an original artist that, like, I didn't write or write on. It just is, like, that's not a thing. So I've always mm-hmm. just, I love co-writing. I, you know, I obviously write by myself a lot, um, and it's just, yeah, I, I, I kind of first and foremost consider myself a songwriter over maybe some other um, identifying uh, things regarding musicians and artists. Like, it just kind of took over my my, uh, creative mind, and I just love, love writing songs. Totally. It's, I mean, there's such a bug there. I mean, I guess guess the goal is, or what you would hope is you'd catch a bug with the thing that you end up pursuing, and because then you're passionate about it. But, yeah, songwriting for me, I don't... It was always something that I kind of wanted to do. And like, I remember looking through, like I was raised big time on Garth Brooks. Like my birth father's like a huge Garth Brooks fan. And that was just like what we listened to all the time. And like, uh, I remember looking through the CD booklets as we're listening to like, you know, my favorite Garth Brooks record or whatever. And seeing that there was like written by so-and-so or written by Garth Brooks and so-and-so. And, and it was like, I was kind of a little bummed because I just realized that Garth Brooks didn't write all those songs, but I was also uh, like, wait, who's that person though? Like, I don't know who that person is. And they like wrote this song. Like they're, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in Garth Brooks, it was the nineties. He's like the biggest thing in the fucking world. You're like, so you, I also knew like, Oh, that person probably made some decent money off of writing that song. Oh Why? yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? God, it was kind of like, yeah, and seeing like other people working and whatnot at a certain point, you're like, you're like, I kind of would rather do that if I can. <laughs> you know, I don't know how, right. but that seems pretty awesome. Well, you, 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 I mean, back in the mid to late 80s, early 90s, yes. I mean, because, whoo, tell you what, those CDs were flying off the shelf, you know, and every oh, yeah. single mechanic sale that songwriter got some money for so and at 17 to 18 bucks a record like a cd remember when they were charging like 18 bucks for a fucking cd and you'd pay it and now and now people won't pay for anything now people want to pay 10 bucks a month to like stream everything it's 
and I don't blame them. It's like, crazy. I, I can't afford to buy more music than I do, but I, but it's still just like it's a weird. It's just such a different time now than it was then. Um, and oh, I think I in a lot of ways, it's kind of weeded out a lot of. I mean, it's just like you got to just really love it if you're gonna if you're someone who doesn't you know, doesn't happen to reach those levels of success, you know, like, it's not, a, it's obviously not about the money, you know what I mean? And like, I mean, I'm also just really grateful that like, I've made any amount of money off of songs that I've written, like, that's fucking crazy to think about, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? Like, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I've made money off of songs I've written, too. So I'm like, okay, I am technically a professional songwriter. Um, mm -hmm. I, I I also geek out about, you know, I always read liner liner notes or, or look up credits to find out, you know, who was in the room, who was on that uh, that song, who's credited, and then like I go even further and I'm like, oh well, like I wonder if there's a story about the session, you know? And there used to be a, a mm -hmm. podcast I listened to called "And the Writer Is," and it's uh, this guy Ross Golan, and he has all these songwriters come on and always interviews them, and I loved hearing the stories behind how the song got made, you know, because sometimes it's like just the most ridiculous serendipitous situations or like a sample in your voice me memos from 10 years ago that somebody that you just found one day and you're like, Oh, and then it becomes this giant hook. Like, it's just, I love it. I, I, I geek out on it so much. It's my religion. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, and I moved out here to LA to, to be, more in the songwriting scene and I'm sure you can kind of attest to this you know being in New York to me New York felt like a more live performance city um mm -hmm. you know it's like there's just bands everywhere all the time and there's clubs and it's you know it's I just didn't really feel like I found a songwriting community as much as I probably would have in Nashville and then out here and like when I first got here I was lucky enough to get tied in with some really amazing writers and producers and like, you know, these guys were good enough that like we'd go in, we'd write the song and then at the end of day, the demo would sound like 90% radio ready, you know, and it was just so exciting to be able to like create something that didn't exist a few hours ago and then have it sound pretty fucking great, you know, and be able to show your friends, oh, look, you know, this is what me and so-and-so wrote today, like, I love that. Um, and that's, you know, mm -hmm. I still write with a lot of those people out here. But, you know, that's kind of what drew, what drew me to Los Angeles was that I just, the amount of songwriters and, and writing sessions that were happening just seemed far, far more um, productive and happening than, than what I found in New York, personally. So. You know, that, I mean, that's something I've been lamenting a bit lately is, uh, is yeah, I don't really have a lot of friends that I geek out with on songwriting. Like my band and I write together and it's really fun because we all have like very different approaches to songwriting, which just makes it all just seem really fresh and exciting. And it's like, oh, that I would have never thought of ending the song like that. That's rad, let's try that. And then you're like, oh, that's so sick, you know? But like, yeah. I, don't, I don't have anyone I can just like nerd out about songwriting or that I feel like co-writing would be productive with like it's like New York's it's fucking weird it's like not I don't know I just yeah I would love to see more of that I get the itch to move to LA or Nashville like on a weekly basis just so I could go hang out with other songwriters and I know they're here <laughs> in New York I just don't like 
I don't know, you know? Maybe I should just start throwing a song that I did night, I guess. That's probably the oh, move. Oh, you like, totally you gotta, should. You, you totally gotta create should. Or you scene. can just call me and be like, okay, let's talk about this new song by Insert Artist Here, and then we can just geek out together about the writing and the production. <laughs> well, you'd have to the, tell uh, me... I love the Garth uh, Brooks uh, bomb you dropped. I would not have pegged you for a Garth Brooks fan. That's, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, that the was more like... you know. Yeah, the first, I want to say, like, the first, yeah, pretty much, like, all of my, like, early, early, and I'm talking, like, pretty, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, um, like, all of those memories of, like, songs, like, the first time I got chills from a song, or the first time um, I or, you know, wondered who wrote the song or, you know, like a lot of those early epiphanies were all while listening to Garth Brooks. Yeah. But that was like kind of like what was just always on. Like, it, I don't, I don't remember listening to anything else. That's also the weird part. And then my parents got divorced and my mom started listening to more of her music. And I didn't realize it at the time. But now, like at the time I was like, ah, mom listens to like lame ass music, um, you know, because it wasn't like <laughs> rock and roll, you know, it was at least my version of rock and roll. And then I, you know, I wanted like Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and Metallica because I was like fucking 13. And then right. but I get older and now I'm like, oh, mom was listening to like Foreigner and Bob Seger and like uh, Bill Withers. And you know what I mean? It's oh, just like people that I yeah. love now, <laughs> you know? So it's yeah. like, it's funny, like angsty me at fucking 13 didn't know shit. But, and I also hated country music then. Like I got over the Garth Brooks thing and was like, I like rock and roll and punk rock. And then like 20 years later, I like write country songs. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Full circle. You, you went from Garth Brooks <laughs> to Chris Gaines and then back to Garth Brooks again. <laughs> Definitely had a Chris Gaines phase. Um, oh, <laughs> I'd um, love to talk more about like when you started writing songs you know after that experience with the temptations which is such a cool experience like i think about this a lot like i remember or i hear i listen to i mention this on the podcast all the time but i listen to pete holmes podcast a lot we made it weird or i'm mm. you made it weird you made it weird yeah and yeah. he talks a lot about how like when he was a kid he would see like go see a play and he was gonna he was like he's like he's just waiting for someone to be like hey is there like a, a little like kind of doughy boy here we need you to like fill in on this part you know because he wanted to be up there on stage and I was kind of like the same way and uh you know I remember one time like one of my good friend Scott's dad coached my sister's little league or like t-ball team and I was too young uh -huh. to play t-ball but I remember like begging him to let me play so one game he let me just like hit the ball or something like that and I think he just ruined me it was like from then on I was just like I'm gonna be on the, the fucking sports team or I'm going to be on the stage. It was like a, right. <laughs> and so the temptations thing, that's, that's like so many kids dream about that exact thing happening. Oh, uh, that's yeah. That, thank you. Cause I, I never like think about it that way. It was like, Oh wow. Like that happened to me, but I don't know. You know, I, I'm sure I, I would have eventually come around to writing but, you know, it's just, like, sometimes little happy accidents happen, and that's, like, the catalyst right there, right? So, yeah, I'm, 
it is a fun, exciting way to have started writing music. Um, it's funny, like, to revert back wanting to, like, watching other people do things and wanting to do it. Like, I, like, full truth, like, it's difficult for me to go see live music now. And I hate that because I just find that I'm, like, overly, I'm either really jealous that I'm not doing it or, <laughs> like, you know, they're, like, on such a bigger stage or there's so more, many more people in the audience and I just get sad and jealous and, like, I want this. Or I'm, like, so hyperly um, in tune to what they're doing and, like, not necessarily critical, but just, like, just watching, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, watching someone in your field. You're, like, okay, oh, they went to that chord. Interesting. Oh, and they didn't rhyme this word with that word. Oh, you know, and I'm just like, it's hard for me to just turn off and just be an audience member. I don't know if you experience that, but I do. And it's like, maybe I should go see a music therapist, some sort of therapist to get over that. Because I used to love, I love going to live music, you know, but it's difficult. I mean, if, obviously, if I'm going to see like Dave Matthews, huge artist, like, it's like then I can just like sit back and enjoy. But if it's someone that's even in a remotely similar peer space, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And maybe that's the competitive nature of living in an industry city like Los Angeles or New York or Nashville. It's like, yes, perhaps we want to think it's all this like there's room for everyone and this is, you know, giant sea, but I unfortunately kind of feel a more competitive, saturated vibe, and it makes me like, ah, how is it, how are you to stand out amongst all the talent, you know? I don't know if you if you can relate to that in New York at all, but. I yeah. totally can in um, in a lot of ways. Sorry, my, my mic stand's acting up, so I had to, like, mute everything so I could, like, tighten it and not make a bunch of noise, so that's why I would cut out for a sec. But um, <laughs> I can... 100% relate to that in in some ways um, I don't go to a lot of live music and I and sometimes I blame it on the fact that that I tour a lot and so some you know like two or three to or six months out of the year depending on the year um, maybe not six that's a lot but uh, I'm like playing shows like five or six nights a week and there's usually a couple other bands on those shows and like a lot of times it's, it's really fun. It's like, I just kind of get, I'm like overwhelmed. Like, you know, sometimes you're just like, oh man, this band just really isn't doing it for me. And I'm sure they would do it for someone. It's just not my thing. You know, I don't right. want to talk shit at all, but like sometimes they can just get kind of exhausting listening to um, a lot of bands that aren't like, aren't as polished as, you know, bands that I would pay to go see or whatnot, you know? Um, and right. so it's like hard for me to go to go to shows when I'm back in New York um, in some ways. And and then like I just don't go to a lot of shows because because like I'm just always broke. Like, you know, mm, like it's, it's New like, York. and like all the bands that I want to see are charging like 60 to 80 bucks a ticket or what, you know what I mean? Or like not all the bands yeah. I want to see because there's smaller bands I want to see, but like it's historically, I remember a friend inviting me to go see Lucero in Salt Lake when I lived there. And they, at the time, one of my favorite bands, I still love that band. Um, but take it for like 40 bucks, Lucero. Um, Lucero. It's like Memphis, like punk country stuff. They're, they're really great, really good Ooh. songwriting. Um, it's like the Springsteen oh. of the South, kind of. Uh, 
<laughs> but, right. um, but yeah, I remember it was like 40 bucks for tickets. And at the time it was like, you know, I made like nine bucks an hour. I was just like, dude, I can't. He was like, I'll buy you some drinks. I was like, I can't even, I don't even have enough money to like get into that show, you know? Mm. And like yeah. years later, I got the chance to open for Ben Nichols, the singer of Lucero in a solo show here in, in uh, Brooklyn. And I, you know, I'm talking with him. It was really cool. He kind of like, let me hang out with him all night. And he just was like really kind to me. And he's like, there's a bunch of people here and I don't really know any of them. And so I'm like, just like be my friend. Cause usually he's with his band, I guess. So it was like, weird to just be there without them you know and so i don't know it was really cool but we were talking a ton about how big of a fan i was and whatnot and he's like you know like i've never i can't believe i haven't met you at a show and stuff like that before and i was like i didn't even say it i was too embarrassed to be like i just because i can't ever afford to go to your shows and not even like they're an expensive band but like that's just like my 20s was just spent broke as fuck but also like spending my money on like booze and cigarettes so like it's like don't feel too bad for me because i could have just been smarter with my money you know um oh we all so, could have been smarter with our money it's fine <laughs> but when i watch like <laughs> yeah we we learn i'm much better with my money now um yeah. and uh when when i do have it i'm still broke <laughs> but like when i do watch a band now it's kind of I don't really get jealous because, um, because I just like I I realize that that's like just not productive at all, or you know, yeah. and like there might be the the seeds of jealousy, but like I I try and divert that energy, and like I've I've been lucky enough to recently, uh, work with like just this weekend I was driving this band um, from England around like this, their first tour they're called heaven 17. They had like some hits in the eighties, really awesome, amazing people. And they, they needed um, a driver. So I somehow got suggested and I, you know, I'm driving them around this weekend, this last weekend and next weekend. And uh, you know, I'm watching the shows and there's people at these shows just losing their mind. Cause it's like, they played a few one-off shows, um, but they've never done a, like a U.S. tour. And, um, it was just like, and it's like industrial music, not like stuff that's not even even close to on my radar. But I'm sitting there right. watching the show and just like taking notes at like the synth playing and the beats and like the lighting and, you know, and like that, that's kind of where my brain is now when I go to shows is like, uh, what gear, like what pedals does the guitar player have? Or like, how's the lighting mm -hmm. working? You know, like I'm trying to take notes because in, in my like, fantasy brain it's like you know even if i'm seeing phoebe bridgers it's like well you know obviously one day i'll be on a stage like that so i gotta know how i want my lights to look <laughs> you know it's just like this i'm oh, like uh i you like know, i'm not yeah i feel kind of like i'm just lying to myself and just you know like just but also i feel like it's just more productive for what i'm trying to do than like getting bummed out about it and trust me i used to get very bummed out about a lot of stuff and i've just like tried to divert that My energy own. as best I can. Oh, totally. And you, I mean, you have to, like, you know, and that's uh, something I might have to work on my whole life, you know. My old therapist used totally. to say, like, any moment you get a tinge of jealousy, like, take that and and do something, you know, may, have an action, basically. Like, write a lyric down or, like, make a make a reminder to send an email to someone. Like, just any, any pang of jealousy try to turn that into an action towards productivity and like that helps but it's still you know it's, it's such a gnarly character flaw of mine like it's it really like 
it's funny because, like, I don't get jealous in, like, relationships or friendship. You know, it's it's purely career and music stuff. And it's just, I think, because it comes from such a place of, like, just wanting it so badly. You know, like, wanting levels of success mm-hmm. that I haven't had yet. And feeling like I finally am in a place in my life where I have the drive and motivation. And, I, you know, I didn't have that like 10 years ago or whenever and now mm-hmm. I feel like I do so I'm like okay let's go <laughs> where's my cheat code to be famous <laughs> yeah know? I mean unfortunately there's there's no cheat code you know unless like you're I fucking, know I'm learning that the hard your brother way. is famous or your parents are famous I mean having rich mm-hmm. parents probably helps and things like that but also still like you can't like you, you can have rich parents but still like I, there's a reason Paris Hilton made one record. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's got fucking really rich parents, but she's not good at music. <laughs> I love you, Paris. I don't, I'm not talking Ooh. shit, but, like... <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Stars Are Blind was a banger, though. That should slap. Oh, really? I don't know if I ever listened to a Paris Hilton record. It just popped in my head as, like, you know, a good yeah. example. <laughs> um, we love you, Paris. That, we do love you, Paris, especially the work you're doing to expose camps in Utah that traumatize children and a lot of times oh, let yeah. them be abused because their parents are fucking religious fucking psychos and they oh, ruin yeah. their kids' lives. But anyways, let's not get go down that road. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a crazy documentary, though. So we'll have to talk about that on, on Girls. <laughs> yeah, Girls Goals. Girls Goals. We'll start another Paris after that called Grohl's to Paris, where we try and get Dave Grohl and Paris Hilton on an episode. And that's the next one. <laughs> Can you imagine? And then there'd be a pig that flew across the sky. Someone <laughs> stayed on hell. I mean, what a world. But yeah, Chuck and Emily, or Chuck and Emily Grohl to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> we have two subscribers. Hell yes. Oh yes, I God. subscribe to my own podcast. What of it? <laughs> yeah, and? Yeah. Oh, um, man. What? Um, yeah. Were you, sorry, were you, did you have something else to, I was just going to. No, I was, was going to say, what I, else do you want to know? I love answering questions. It's really fun to be interviewed. Um, I, I'd love to kind of work our way down your story a little bit more. When you, so you started playing, writing songs. Um, after that experience with the Temptations, and then you you eventually ended up in Boston, and you were playing in a band when you started at Berkeley. Were you playing and performing yeah. all that time in between, or, or how did your relationship with um, like writing get you onto the stage? Great question. Um, you know, I actually I was performing quote <laughs> performing um, before I was writing. I used to. I went to a music camp in the summers when I was 12 and 13, and I'll never forget. In like the cafeteria, there was there were everyone was you know getting ready for the big talent night, talent show night, and there was this band of you know tween boys playing. There's drums, bass, guitar, and they're playing "Just a Girl" by No Doubt, and I'm like. Um, do you guys need a singer? And they're like, yeah, I don't know where she is. Here, yeah, why don't you come up and run this with us? So I did, and I knew the song, like, the back of my hand. And they're like, whoa, like, do you want to sing in the talent show with us? So I'm really sorry to the girl who originally got asked, but sorry. 
Um, so I did that Snoozy song, loose. and I just felt like Teen Spirit, and I was like 13. And then they, we just, they lived two and a half hours away from me. After music camp, they were like, yeah, like, let's start a band. My dad, bless his heart, he used to drive me up there, like, every other weekend, and we'd just play a bunch of Incubus and, like, Green Day and No Doubt songs in their parents' garage and jam out for, like, hours. And so that was, like, my first band, and I think we played it, like, the Battle of the Bands and, like, did all that stuff, and it was uh-huh. so fun to just, like, jump around as a little 13-year-old singing all this rock stuff. Um, yeah, and then, that's so cool of your so dad that to was do kind that. Of like, cool. Thank you. And then in, in my hometown also, like, I took guitar lessons at this really amazing, um, I guess, uh, instruction studio, and we used to put on recitals, and we did, like, Dark Side of the Moon, and that was super fun to get to sing Great Gig in the Sky, and, like, you know, oh, yeah. I played guitar recitals. One recital I did um, Zeppelin, What Is and What Should Never Be, and totally fucked up oh, the yeah. slide solo. Oh, brother. Yeah, those were my first, like, forays into performing. Um, and then when I got to Boston, I I just, uh, there was a girl at my first college who was like, hey, like, my friend's band, like, they're looking for, to replace their backup singer. Like, you want to go see them? I was like, sure. So we went and checked them out, and they were this really fun, like, reggae, ska, rock band. And I was mm-hmm. like, these guys are awesome. And they're like, yeah, you want to come to our rehearsal and, like, maybe try some of these parts. So I did, and they subsequently kicked the other girl out and put me in the band. I sound like a fucking horrible, like, real housewife, like, stealing people's jobs. Um, but they put me <laughs> in, and I started, I started singing lead with them, and we started writing more songs. And, like, I was in that band. We were called The Stolen Records. They mm-hmm. were from the Boston suburbs, you know, they uh, were definitely privileged kids who, like, their parents basically built them a studio, so, like, they had all these amazing amenities of, like, things that, you know, not your typical band starting up has to deal with, like, we went on this East mm-hmm. Coast tour, and someone's parent bought them, like, you know, a Sprinter van, basically, so we just, like, had this great van to travel down the coast in and it was so fun and i got to just like skank around on stage and and sing these really fun rock ska songs and that was like my first real band um and a great great group of musicians and you know they'll always have a special place in my heart uh the band kind of broke up because i ended up going to uh greece for a study abroad program and when I came back, it just had kind of fizzled, and everyone started doing separate projects. Um, so then I basically just, like, would hire guns at Berkeley to just do my own music, you know? Like, if I played a show, I would just ask my buddies, hey, you want to do drums, bass, guitar? Like, And that's basically what I did for the next 10 years um, in New York mm-hmm. and in Boston. I didn't have a band. I just had musicians that I was lucky enough to that wanted to play my music, my songs, and... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I got to Los Angeles and and in recent years, you know, I got together with Kat and, like, started more of, like, an actual band dynamic, but I've been doing Uh the solo artist thing for for a really long time. And I think, as you can probably relate, there's definitely pros and cons about, you know, doing the hired gun thing, 
versus, yeah. hey, everyone's chipping in, it's a collaborative effort, like, it's all one thing, you know, we could discuss this at length another time, but there's definitely, there's times in which I'm like, oh, I, I thrive in a band setting. I thrive when I know people are working on the same project, they care as much as I do, that I don't mm-hmm. feel like they just want to collect their money and they don't actually like the music. You know, you're always worried when people, you hire someone to play, like, do they hate this? <laughs> like, I would never want someone to, like, hate the songs but just do it because they're getting paid. Um, but then again, you know, it's like, and Kat and I talk about this all the time with Guyville, we always have this phrase, you know, when we're in the studio, like, oh, well, I'm not going to die on that hill. You know, and if we, like, disagree about something, hey, this guitar part should be different or, like, this song needs to be faster, I don't want this lyric. Like, in a band, it's like, there is no, it's not a dictatorship. It is a democracy. And you have to really, at least for me, it's been a good adjustment to, like, learn the art of compromise again. You know, because for so long, it's just like, well, I'm calling the shots. These are my songs. I'm hiring these people to play them. Like, they do what I tell them to. And that's what it was. You know, yeah, and and now totally. being in a group, it's like it's a really great exercise in like, and not only just learning about compromise because I'm not a super stubborn person, but also like, you know, just having another opinion and ear be like, well, what if we tried it this way? And then a lot of times you're like, yeah, that is better. Like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I I mean about the solo artist thing is, and you do it long enough. And especially for the reasons I did it, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but like I just felt so burned by the band I was in before, and mm. I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna do this on my own." Um, and it was kind yeah. of like really spiteful, and like having that ace card up my sleeve of, or of, I don't want to use the word trump card, but because you know obvious <laughs> reasons, but uh, like of being able to be like, well, at the end of the day, it's like. I'm kind of in charge because it's my name on the marquee and like I never wanted to really come across as that person but also in the back of my mind it's like well yeah but that's also why I'm doing this you know what I mean like I don't want to be a prima donna diva but also it's like I don't want to fucking listen to someone else you know and and I kind of got used to that for a while and so now playing uh with Jared and Blake where it's much more democratic when we're writing stuff for like this other project and, and whatnot. Like I've had to just be straight up with them. I'm like, guys, you know, like this is kind of a, like a weirdly vulnerable place for me because, you know, usually I'm kind of the one calling the shots and I let people, I, I want to hear what other people can add to the song. And I, you know, I can't play drums and, and Jared's a way better bass player than me. But at the end of the day, if I don't like what they're doing, I like to be able to be like, nah, I'd rather you do this. Um, and so now in this vulnerable place of like, well, no, I don't call the shots. And like, I didn't write all the songs and, and, uh, um, it's like, it's, it's a real exercise in, uh, in patience. And like you said, learning about compromise and also being like, uh, I don't have all the best ideas. I have some pretty fucking good ideas or else I wouldn't still be doing this, but I don't, I doesn't mean all of my ideas are the best every single time, you know? Right, right, totally. Yeah, and and it's, like, so important to find, I mean, obviously you know this because you've had this amazing group of musicians with you, like, you know, Blake and Jared, like, there's obviously something 
great between the three of you. Like the chemistry is so important because when you're writing or playing with people that you just, you know, it's like, oh, they're a great drummer, but I just don't like the way they play. Like, ah, you know, it's like you don't want to date someone forever that you're like not that into just to be dating someone. Like, you get it. It's 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 yeah. yeah, It's a chemistry. Like anything well, it's else, like what you, you know? Yeah, kind of what you said earlier. Like, I don't want someone playing these songs that doesn't like them. And I've been fortunate, like, really fortunate to where, like, all the musicians that I've ever gotten to, you know, get on stage with me and tour with me and play my stuff, like, for the most part, all of them have, like, been just really great and brought a lot to the table and just really knew how to, like, help, like, lift up the song. Um, yeah. And that's... But I also, like, I remember playing drums or having one guy play drums with me, pretty much, like, my friend's band. I took them on tour so they, like, they could open and then be my backing band. Uh, and and then after that tour, um, that band broke up, but I tried to recruit the, the drummer and the bass player for another tour. And the drummer was like, look, Chuck, you're a really nice guy, and I, I really like, um, I really, like, I don't have anything against you at all, but, like, I just don't really care for this music and not your music, but just this style of music. Like the dude loves like techno and like tool and it's like, yeah. Oh, cool. Like that's, that's like actually really cool of you to say that, you know what I mean? It'd be, it'd be totally. kind of hard for people to say that, but like, if you're not into yeah. it, I, I don't, I don't want to fucking, you know, like this is like a hard thing to do as it is. I don't want to do it like against your will or, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, no, absolutely. And, I, I and that'd bet, be a hard like, thing to say to someone too. Oh, totally, totally. And you know, I've I've been asked if I wanted to like fill like backup singer positions for groups that are established and whatnot. And like, I don't know. It's just like if I'm not super thrilled about it, I'm just kind of like probably not the best thing for me. And that's okay, you know. It, 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 it I guess you get to a point where. And I don't mean this isn't like that I'm fortunate enough to like be able to say no to every opportunity because I'm not. I still want to take most of them, but sometimes you just have to because if you take an opportunity that like you're not stoked about, you're blocking something that's more fit for you because, you know, like if you're like, well, I'm in this band that I kind of like, and then another band comes along and you really like them, but you can't because you already made a commitment. It's just like that doesn't serve anyone, you know? Definitely. Um, so it's, well, it's great that people, no, it's just like that. Yeah. That's like really great that he was able to say like, Hey man, it's just not, not really my thing. And that it wasn't personal. It's just like, I would be really interested to find, um, if they did like an anonymous survey of like, you know, professional touring musicians who are on like big, big tours. If mm-hmm. they're at a point where they're like, I don't care that I get paid five grand a night or way more. I hate this music and I don't want to do it anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, because that to me seems like an existence that would be pretty miserable. If every single night you're like, oh my God, I hate this music so much, but I'm making so much money that I have to just like grin and bear it, you know? Like maybe that's not worth it at the end of the day. I mean, I have I friends think... who do like, bigger um i have friends that are in some like pretty bigger gb bands and 
they make a lot of money, but they've said to me privately, like, I don't care. If I have to play September one more fucking time, I'm going to blow my brains out. I don't care if I'm getting two grand for the wedding. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> like, wow. Oh, yeah. I, um, yeah. I mean, there's a, I think there's definitely two, like, my, my responses to that, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember how to use words real quick, um, one is that, like, with something you said earlier about not being able to say no to, to everything, or being in a place where you can say no to things, and um, even if you know, even if you you can't say no to everything, is is like sometimes the only thing you get out of a gig, or sometimes or you you get out of certain situations, is to know to say no to similar things like that in the future. And like, I don't, I think that's like actually super valuable thing to learn is like, that's, you know, is to know like, oh, I'm not going to say yes to that thing again. Cause, um, you know, because I, cause it's like, cause I know it's not what I want, but then, then again, like, I, I don't know. I'm one. It's like, if you're playing music and making money doing it, that's a pretty fucking cool thing to be able to do. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if I was playing a bunch of like, if I, I, don't, I don't at a certain point, I'd lose the passion if it was just like cover songs, because I love writing songs. I love playing other people's songs. We covered uh, Folsom Prison today. You've, uh, you've heard us cover Folsom Prison. And I just wanted to do that because we're there on the sidewalk in Park Slope, like busy part of town. And I was just like, excited to see how many cell phones popped out and there was like a dozen or so you know just because i was like hey, hey. i was like this is the only cover song we're gonna play today so eat it up you know and and we, fucking, and we play that song really really well and it, and it was fun and uh but i don't i don't want to do that all the time or only play cover songs but i also can't think of like any type of music or or any uh that's I'm struggling to think of music that I wouldn't play if they were paying me the right amount of money. You know what I mean? Ooh, yeah. That's, I mean, fair enough. Like, I, I'm struggling to think of that, too. I mean, it, so I, I, do, I do a lot of cover gigs, and I will say, like, it is work. It's, it's a job. There are, there are nights where I'm like, my wrist hurts, my voice hurts, I'm tired. I've been playing these same songs for five years, like, and mm -hmm. it's not that I'm, I'm so grateful to have it, to be able to do it because, you know, I, I've made majority of my living in the restaurant industry and I still am, you know, so anytime I get paid to play music, I consider it a, a win and like a, okay, like this is a success. Okay. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's not lost on me that it is a hundred percent a job, you know, and I know you feel that too. Like it's when you're entertaining and you're like, as fun as it is jamming out with like your favorite bandmates of all time. Like, okay, it still works. It's still work. And it's, but it's the best kind of work, you know, like my yeah, dream totally. job. Yeah. But it's still a job, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, I think if you tie like your, your financial stability to anything, I don't care if it's being the accountant at a fucking, Fortune 500 company or, or an accountant at a Fortune 500 company or 
you know, playing playing music. There's gonna be parts of that job that fucking suck, but there's also gonna be perks of that job, you know. And one of those is if you're an accountant in a big company, you're probably gonna make a lot of money and be able to like go on vacation or like not have four roommates or you know like live mm-hmm. or like have a family if that's something you wanted to do, you know. Um, but then you also, you know, have to go into an office and and do you know do the things that I don't really care to do so um I don't know there's there's going to be a negative to any job you know job should be a four letter word Ooh, yes I like that <laughs> uh, so um just to pick up back up I guess on my musical journey um I moved so I graduated from Berkeley moved to New York was doing the solo artist thing, you know, definitely writing, but not, like, writing a ton. Um, mm-hmm. And then I moved to L.A. and uh, kind of immediately dove into some writing circles and just kind of amassed more of a song catalog. Um, played out a little bit, but not anywhere near as much as I probably should have or wanted to in the first couple of years here. Mm-hmm. Um and then, as you know, I met I met our good friend Cat Hamilton. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, you know, one fateful night, and um, friend of the podcast, decided, former guest. Yep, friend of the podcast. Uh, she and I, you know, the the L.A. version of like let's get coffee is let's write a song, and yeah. a lot of times it's a nightmare. Um, but. Kat and I met, we kind of immediately got along, and then we were like, let's, yeah, let's, let's do a writing session, and we did, we wrote our first song within two hours, it was just like, came out, and we were both like, okay, we obviously have very similar tastes, we have certain sense, same sensibilities, and like, it just, it just became magic, and so, that, you know, I'm, I'm we're called Guyville, in homage of Liz Fair, uh, so that's a duo that I have with her. She's a phenomenal solo artist, and I I am inspired by her as a songwriter all the time. Um, she just yeah, she's makes a very inspiring better. person. She's a very inspiring person, and not only just as a friend, but as a as a writer and a lyricist and a guitarist and a singer. It's just yeah. Um, so I'm very lucky to be in a duo with her. And then I recently, within the last year. Um, so I've always had one of my biggest, I don't want to say hang-ups because I'm trying to, like, use it as a tool, but mm-hmm. I've just always had a kind of mixtape sensibility of, like, I don't really, I've never really found an artistic lane. I've always just looked at the music I've, I have as, like, their songs, and one song might be more country and one song might be more R&B and it's it's because I'm so influenced and inspired by all of it that you know I'll I'll look at uh, Joss Stone performance I'll be like fuck like I want to sing more like that and write something in that kind of like guitar style and then I'll look at a folk performance and I'll you know Patty Griffin or something and I'll, I'll feel the same way about that it's like I'm just always like ADHD about like musical genres and wanting to just, like, tackle most of them and work within a lot of them. And so it's been kind of a struggle for me to brand myself, and 
I know, you know, maybe the answer to that is like, well, but it doesn't matter anymore. But I'm like, yeah, but it still kind of does, right? Because at the end of the day, it is a business. It's an industry. Mm-hmm. People are people are wanting to say, oh, well, what what do they do? And if the answer is uh, a little bit of everything, that's cool. But for me, it's always been a struggle. This is a long-winded way around of saying that amongst my more quote-unquote singer-songwriter type stuff, I've always had a penchant for rock, like 90s-inspired rock. And so I would always have these songs in my sets that were like clearly outliers to the rest of this material. And I kind of was flirting around with the idea for years now of like just starting a rock project and calling it like a band and saying this is where the rock stuff lives. So I finally got that together this last year. That's called social drag. I just was oh, like, cool. you know what, I'm going to build this. Yeah, I'm going to build this from the ground up. You know, there's an aesthetic that works with it. The so- the sonics work together. I'm inspired by, you know, Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden and Nirvana and Hole and Liz Fair and, like, all these, like, kind of more grungy but, like, still melodic music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been also putting energy and, and recording time and and um, work into. And I have an EP that's in mix right now. So that'll be coming out hopefully late November. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess that brings us to present day. And I'm just, you know, trying to get better at home production and, you know, working on my mixing skills and just, like, playing out as much as I possibly can and, and getting better at performance. And, yeah, um, that's essentially my musical journey, you know. It's like I feel like just my biggest hurdle is understanding that my love of genres is not a detriment, but it can be um, a, benef- a benefit, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to to feel fairly fluent in, like, multiple different genres. Um, instead yeah, totally. of feeling constricted, you know? Yeah, that's kind of partially why I, you know, we, Jared and Blake and I decided, like, that we wanted to kind of work on, like, a, a whole other project besides Charles Ellsworth and the Space Force Deserters, because, like, what I kind of do, I've, I've kind of always had that trouble as well of, like, putting myself, like, I've always called it, like, Americana or country, but, like, you know, there's elements of punk and psychedelic, and, and it's kind of like I, I struggle with. Like, a part of me is like, I want to just make like a fucking country record and just be like, oh, this is my, this is a country music record. Uh, yeah. You know, but but then with those guys, it, it was like we're writing all kinds of stuff. That's like, we had a song that's in like ten four, and a song that's in seven four, and you know what I mean? Like just kind of, it's like kind of out there and one sounds like if Modest Mouse and the National were doing a mashup and the other, you know, and then there's other ones that are kind of like heavy and I'm like, what I kind of like years ago, you know, realized was like, okay, maybe the whole thing that you can't pick a lane isn't really a super big benefit, but the benefit you have right now because of the internet and because you can record stuff on your own if you have to or you can just put it out there in a way that you've never been able to really in the history of music because you had to have it like pressed or or put to tape or or cd or whatnot and so um long way to say like i think 
these days it's like an it's like Dave Grohl. It's an artist career. Like to bring it full circle, it's like I'm trying to create like a body of work throughout my lifetime. Um, more so than like the um, Charles Ellsworth, the guy who kind of writes writes kind of country songs that kind of you know what I mean. It's like like you know maybe someday I'll make a documentary film or do, you know do different things where where it's like my body of work is like my art as opposed to just like you know a few songs that hopefully people will hear and like. Yeah, absolutely, and like that that's. I think, uh, I don't know if this rings a bell to you, but, and I, I don't mean to sound uh, generalized, but I do think the the ears of the populace have been dumbed down a bit. And so, like, mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's like, well, I want to create, like, I want to be as prolific as possible, and I want to be, like, I want to write really interesting, intricate guitar parts and, like, you know, layer with all these different instruments. And, like, part of me is, like, does anyone give a shit? Like, is anyone going to listen to this and be, like, oh, wow, I stumbled upon this. And, like, I really appreciate the musicality. It's, like, I feel like, and a lot of this also stems from my education at Berkeley because I did do the songwriting major. And, yeah, there was a lot of great things about the program. But to be frank, like, it was very antiquated. It was very steep mm-hmm. in the, this is what worked in Nashville in 1990. And this is what worked in the R&B world in the late 80s, which is great. Some of the best songs of all time. But, like, the form box was real. And I still yeah. struggle with getting out of it. And and so when you're talking about, you know, you guys have a song in 10-4 and you've got, like, all these cool elements, it's like, I'm very – I'm still kind of trapped in this mindset of like okay but where's the big chorus like where's the radio hook and uh, I want to break out of it yeah. you know because I want to trust that there's a lot of ears that don't want to listen to like the earworm stuff but I, I feel like that's where I gravitate towards and you know Kat and I one of the reasons we work so well together is because she has helped me push the limits of that box and be like, be like no mm-hmm. we don't have to finish this lyric with this rhyme let's not and you know and i'm like well the, the big big beatles melodies come on like, <laughs> so yeah. like, um i don't know where i was going with that other than like yeah it's 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 exciting to like want to make a catalog as an artist you just kind of hope with a heavyish heart that like it will be appreciated and listened to and at the end of the day, who cares, right? You're still creating for yourself and you're creating to create. But, like, I don't know. Do you feel that way sometimes? You're just like, well, but is anyone going to hear it and, like, appreciate it? Um, I I feel that way so much more about music that I've already put out. Um, of mm-hmm. like, just like, fuck, man, like, this stuff I think is good. I think, I think some of it's, like, pretty fucking good and I just don't know how to get anyone to give a shit um you know and like I'm really fortunate because there is a a good number of people some of which are probably listening to this podcast right now that really dig what I do and that's fucking so rad but like on the level of like when I just watch people I know and friends and not like out of a jealousy way but like they put out a thing and it just ends up on a Spotify playlist and I'm just like what what am I doing wrong you know what I mean like it's uh like, why? I, I don't know, you know, and, and like, uh, 
and I just would like for more people to hear it. Um, well, it's really hard. That I'm working... oh, sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, not to interrupt you, but it's like I've, you. I, it's hard when like your resources are the amount of followers you have, right? It's like, okay, I don't have a huge social media presence. So let's say tomorrow I wrote my my let it be, and I'm like. Uh -huh. What do you do? We just like post on Instagram, right? Like that, like that's kind of all you can do, you know. Like we don't have an endless supply of money to hire the like huge, biggest marketing PR firm in the world to like put I'll a billboard out. Like, so it's just kind of like you have to m maybe just hope that you put it out and someone's going to share it, and then that person's going to share it, and that's how you can get it to more ears. But it, 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 it's like, I don't want to say it's depressing, but it is kind of like you, you create, you create, and you make something you're proud of, and, like, then what? Then what? You know, it's like everyone, well, a lot of people say how the labels are devil, but sure, but think of the opportunities that they provide in a lot of ways. Opportunities that, like, I just don't know how to get myself without something like that. Yeah, no, that's really true, and I think, I mean, the label thing is, like, the thing that sucks about them is they're either going to just siphon off whatever momentum you have and make money off of it and then cast you away once they're done with it, or they'll elevate you to the next level, but, like, the percentage-wise is, like, the, the latter, you know, more likely the latter if you look at historically for artists across the board. Um, so that's why I've kind of always been anti-label and also, like, fuck the man and, like, fuck it all, like, uh... You know what I mean? Like, fuck their system, and, like, if I, if eventually I get invited to the party and it helps me out, that's rad, but if not, like, and, and this is really easy for me to say right now because, I don't know, it's just, like, you can talk to me in two weeks or in, like, 48 hours, and I could have a completely different response to this, but, you know, a minute ago you said, like, you make this thing you're really proud of, and then, you know, and, and then what? And it's like, well, you, but you did it. You know what I mean? Like capitalism is making you feel like, like now we need to sell a million copies because that's what would make it a success. But like you and I both know that being someone who can finish a fucking project like that is, is it? You did it. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the, the thing. And yeah, it's like, I, I had to go back to an old job I haven't worked since before the pandemic. Uh, this past week, you know, it was my first week back at this job because, like, the money just wasn't coming in. And, you know, and it's just like, fuck. Uh, but I kind of realized it's like, well, I can get a bar job. And every single time I work at a bar, I feel like I work harder than most of the people around me. I get taken advantage of the most. And, and I get asked way more of, like, than I they agree to when I started. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that's like a, maybe I'm completely just big-headed and full of myself and just wrong. You know, anyone who's listening that's worked with me at a bar can email and say uh, that, I'm a, that I'm a piece of shit and I'm, like, full of it. But this, this job I started at is at a, you know, a fabrication shop where I get to be a carpenter and, you know, maybe some welding eventually uh, if I get back into that or, like, a scenic, like, painting. It's, it's like... It is creating with my hands and like making stuff and kind of what I realized is like one big they, they agreed to pay me a lot more than they were paying me before that's why I left in the first place because I was like yeah this is like hard work I make way more money behind the bar and it's like bartending is hard you know I'm never gonna say it's not but like 
like it doesn't break my body while paying me like fucking 20 bucks an hour like in new york city that's like you know what i mean bartending like my bar job was offering like 25 bucks an hour as like a minimum you know like as like a like yeah if you no, no, not plus tips. Like, if your tips didn't reach, or like 150 or $200 a day guarantee, you know, something like that. Where it's like, if you don't make enough money, you're going to make 150 bucks on this eight-hour shift. Like, it was eight, or, no, it was 200 bucks. I don't remember exactly. But, so, long story short, I walked away from it. But, then again, like, that, that relationship turned sour eventually. I got fired from that job two weeks before everything shut down from COVID. Uh, really funny how that all ended up working out but uh, uh like i know that the shop if they're not busy they don't have work for me so that's one thing that's like not a great thing but that means it forces me to hustle and work on other shit and i'll have time to work on other shit and when i tell them i can only work monday tuesday this week they're like we'll be here monday tuesday you know what i mean because i'm not trying to gain more responsibility and they, they understand that i'm like yo i'm I've got other stuff that I gotta like focus on and put my energy into, but you know I do good work. You know I show up on time and, and like, you know like, and I'm not a liability and I'm worth the money you're paying me. So, you know, and it's just like, so I guess sorry, this is like a really long way to say. Oh no! About the restaurant industry for hours. I mean, don't get me started. but yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is that like. But, but it's, it's also, like, like I, I, I was watching the money I have saved for potentially my next record just dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And it's like, yeah, yeah I don't quite have the next record fully written yet, so I'm not ready to, like, spend that money. But I need that money to be there when it's time. Yep. So I've, I got to get a fucking job. You know what I mean? And, it, and it's like, and that last week of work, I've had an insanely busy week. But it's... Oh, good, good to be making, making money again, you know, know like just, just fucking swinging a hammer. Like, I don't think I swung a single, I, I did a little bit, but you know, know what I mean? Just for like, as a, you know, it just felt good to be like earning my money, you know, I'll probably in two, three months be pretty burned out, but also it'll be the slow season. So, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you're doing, it, you're doing it for the creative. Like I spent a lot of my twenties, you know, working in New York all the time, making money, but like it didn't I mean I did make an EP at the end of my time there which did take up a lot of that money but like it wasn't going towards creative endeavors all the time and so now it's like okay I'm I'm actively paying for mixes I'm actively paying for studio time like I yeah it sucks that I still have to do jobs that I really don't find a lot of joy in anymore but I'm doing it for a bigger cause now and that bigger cause is that I'm an independent artist and this is just what I have to do like I have to totally. I have to pay my bandmates because they're worth every fucking penny and then some and I do that okay great I have to pick up some ships so buckle down make your money to be able to live your dream <laughs> like yeah uh, totally. and then eventually you just hope that you make money like you make money living your dream that's kind of the goal in life the the, the Dave Grohl goal, you know? Yeah, yeah. the Grohl goal. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that's, I, like, 
also you just, just gotta look at it as, as like literally investing in your future you know you're creating a catalog and you're you're like putting yourself out there and hopefully gaining fans because you're not bad at this you know what i mean like it's not like you start seeing and people are like jesus christ you know what i mean like you're very good at this i like your songwriting i love your voice like so you know, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, I didn't, I didn't say, say like and love because it's different levels. I think it's all fucking great. But, uh, like, you know, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think you just keep investing in yourself and just keep going after it. And I heard, I love, I say this a lot. I love listening to podcasts and reading autobiographies and stuff like that. Of like hearing other people's ways up the mountain, like how they got there. You know, and, and they're, they're still, still trying to get to, get to like, the, they, they still, still don't think they're, they're at the top of the mountain, even though from your point of view, you're like, well, you fucking did it. But yeah, one thing Conan O'Brien said, I think it was on Pete Holmes' podcast, which I, you know, pretty much ripped off. That's how I made this podcast. I'm admitting it now. But uh, that's why I try not to talk about God too much because I don't want to step on his territory too much. But anyways, Conan O'Brien said, like, I looked at my career as... You know, you know, I was in this crowd of people, and they're all being super loud, and, and like, and people, and there's like, and there's other people paying attention to them and being like, oh wow, what's this person doing? Oh, this person's doing this thing, like, like screaming while playing the saxophone somehow, and you know, and, and he was like, well, I just kind of had a triangle, and I just kept hitting it like every fucking second or whatever, and I just kept doing that. I did that over and over and over again for ten years, and eventually, after they kind of like the people paying attention had paid attention to the other things and kind of got over it or or whatnot like eventually they start hearing like wait what's that like i keep hearing this thing like eventually you catch their attention and then they're like and then and then all of a sudden like people are paying attention and they're digging what you're doing and i'm not saying you're going to be as famous as taylor swift or anything like that but also like eventually you'll scale it to the point where a chunk of if not all your income will come from chasing the dream and you'll have another list of complaints and and you'll you'll appreciate every minute of it but you'll also have things about it that drive you fucking crazy just like working at a bar or carpentry does yeah oh it's yeah i need to just keep surrounding myself with like inspirational quotes and stories like that i don't know if you watched the emmys last week uh this last week but there's this um actress who won for like best supporting comedy uh her name's cheryl lee ralph she's 65 mm-hmm. and she's on a show called really? Abbott Elementary. did you see this she won and she she got on stage and she sang this like beautiful snippet of a song a really empowering song and then she's like she's like i'm up here at 65 years old and i am living proof that like you never ever stop you never stop. You oh never give God. up because here I am. I'm the oldest person in this room, but I just won my first Emmy, and like this has made it all worth it. And like, oh, I can't even say it without like getting emotional. And it's you, like you gave me chills, and I haven't even seen it. So yeah, no, you gotta check it out. It's just you know, it's like, and, and I don't mean to name drop here because I don't know this for a fact, but like you know what you were saying earlier is like a lot of people at the level of success that working at from base camp or camp I don't feel like Don Mendez Sorry. probably looks at Harry Styles and is like oh my god I suck compared to like look at how much success he has and he probably feels shitty about himself like everyone has mm-hmm. something that you yeah. except maybe Paul McCartney like I don't really know where else Paul McCartney can go but 
I'm sure just as like as as much as you and I are here on you know the smaller scale of things like feeling jealous about A, B, and C or wanting A, B, and C. It's like every human doing this, every creative feels that way, and it's kind of mm-hmm. comforting to know like it's not it's not even personal. It's just like this is what happens when you're an artist, <laughs> and it's gonna drive you nuts. But also taking comfort that, like, at no level of success is it probably ever going away. You just have to, like, try to find what success means to you. And when, you you know, when you feel like you're doing your best and, like, I don't know, that trying to trying to learn that every day, you know. And one of my biggest struggles has been with releasing music because I, I have been sitting on a decade of recorded music you know mm-hmm. there's five songs out uh not the guy stuff and social drag as far as like anything solo artists like i only have five songs mm-hmm. released and it's because okay. i know the moment that those are out in the world my brain is like okay this is what i'm going to be judged on because i do it if someone's like mm-hmm. hey check out my song within the first 30 seconds i'm making a, a judgment and i hate that but it's just true <laughs> And so I'm so hyper aware that other people are doing that to me. So it's like this horrible security, false security blanket of like, well, if I never release it, I can never be judged on it. But it's like, yeah, but then what? Yeah. Like, you have five songs to your name? Come on. Like, so I'm really struggling. I've, I've struggled with that for a, I promised myself that I was going to release music this year. And so far I have made true on that promise. Um, and it feels good, you know, but it's also just like, it's, it's so personal, right? You write a song and you're like, this is something I created. And at least for me, it's like, I want people to like it, but I have no control over them liking it. They might just not like it or they might love it. I have friends who like, they're like, oh my God, that song you wrote when you were 19. And I'm like, that song is hot garbage. And they're like, but it's, I love that song. You know, it's like, you just, you just don't know what people are going to like. That's one of the biggest things you learn about releasing, as I'm sure you can attest to. It's like, you may be like, this is my best song. And like 10 other people will be like, oh no, I like this song. Or someone's like, no, I like that other song. Like, it's a, it's a crapshoot. It's a fucking crapshoot. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think you know, know I, I, I'm, I'm going to give, give you some unsolicited advice. advice. I think I've been doing this for the past hour and 20 minutes, but <laughs> Uh, so, so I'm sorry if, if uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't, don't want to be annoying, but like, no. I think, I think through Jesus, all things are possible. I'm just kidding. Through practice, you know, all things are possible. Or you can get better. You can get to a point with anything that you thought you never would be capable of doing through practice. I think that's true about anything. If you listen to the music and you catch yourself judging or being being negative or, you're, you know, you're, you catch yourself doing the thing that you're worried other people are going to do when you release music, take note of it, take note of it and brush it away like you were meditating. You know, like when you, if a thought came to you and you're meditating, you just brush it away like you were the child that came to disturb you, but you, you have to be like, no, 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 you have to, you have to go over here and you're just, you're just redirecting a child. Um, and, and be kind to yourself about it, because, because if you can stop doing that to other people's music, you can probably 
like, like not, not be so, so worried about people doing it to yours. I don't know. I don't know for sure, you know, but like, and, and I mean, also, you said, said it yourself. The the, the average listener's ears have been dumbed down. down. Nobody is. Nobody has had your exact lived experience and the amount of like involvement with music than you have. It's it's completely unique and like you got to stop putting yourself in everybody else's shoes because like you have no fucking idea what's going through their brain. You know what I mean? And it's like, and even if it's negative, then like, then don't spend time with those people. Like the haters are gonna hate. You know, like my friend T Swift likes to say. Wait, you know Taylor? Um, um you know, well, we're gonna, she's, she'll be my ex-wife someday. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be uh, a short-lived, very, very, um, very passionate romance, I'm, I'm assuming. Like driving a Maserati down a dead-end street, just like that. Yep. Um, yeah, with a brick wall at the end. That's what dating is like. <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry, that's... I don't know what dating is like. I think I just it's it's like a mix of like like I like what I was talking about earlier was like being so um all over the place musically and so interested in, in all the genres. It's like hear an artist put out a song and I'm like my and my reaction is like, ah oh, fuck, I wish I had written that or like I love this production. Like it it starts to be a slippery slope of replication. And it's mm-hmm. like I never like blatantly steal someone's work, but like I, I I lose the plot of like well what comes most innately um, to Emily versus like well oh but people like this song from this person so that works let me try to do it because it it works so if I can try to do that maybe it'll work for me too and that's a really not healthy way to create because it's completely losing your sense of like personal identity (laughs) and um you know i'm gonna get a little preachy here one of the things that helped me so much in the last few years was the artist way you know like i know some people kind of consider it a little bit of a cult but it really fucking helped me i had some of the most like poignantly formative uh years or nights excuse me in 2020 like being at home like with that book really doing some deep excavation into like when did I start first doubting myself and like where does my perfectionism come from and why do I feel like I'm not good enough and like just all the things that hold you back from being like no I believe in this song I wrote I believe in this I'm gonna put it out I'm gonna be fucking proud about it and it really helped me identify again with the fact that like I am a creative I am an artist I do like what you just said it's so beautiful like there is only one me and only me has my story you know, and mm-hmm. God bless Kat Hamilton. She says that to me all the time when I start to go into a tizzy about wanting to sound like A, B, and C. She's like, there's only one Emily Holtzlander. Like, tell her story. Sing the song the way that your voice knows how to sing it and, like, be yourself, you know? Like, don't worry about what everyone else is releasing and how it sounds and trying to just copy that. That's not going to work. You have to try to do your own authentic thing. In your own way. It's just always been a struggle for me. Always. No, I think it's important to remember there's room for both. And, uh, you know, my example was, like, the money I wasted uh, in 
college was on was on a film degree uh and so i watched a lot of movies and i remember hearing about like that's like how quentin tarantino like he never went to film school he just watched a bunch of movies from the time he was a kid and by a bunch like you know that dude's a kind of a borderline insane person like i won't say in a good way but he's he's like fucking insane uh <laughs> and he just obsessively watched movies for his whole life and that's but and like part of why you're watching like you watch a quentin tarantino film and half of its homages to other films of the period or or like some some samurai film or some you know what i mean it's like like there's a shot that's like a fucking almost exact replica of this movie and he did that on purpose because he like because he knows because that's like his thing that's what influenced him and that's what he wants to do and there's nothing wrong with that you can do that with other people's music in a way i love paying homage i have some lyrics that's like a direct like half of like a line from like a towns van zandt song because i you know i was like you know i still love towns van zandt but i was also like 24 and just like you know it, that dude changed my life and i was like i'm gonna just pay homage to him you know uh i uh I don't know. I think that that's, that's, uh, I, I don't know. I think that's, oh, wait, sorry. I lost my train of thought. Like, do you, so like, I wouldn't worry too much about doing like, I mean, it's important to remember your like point of view and, and that your, your own artistic voice and your own person, but also like another, another film example. Have you ever seen the film Fargo by the Cohen brothers? Oh yeah. Not the not the series, but the the film. Uh, yeah. Like, and I I hate it if I'm mansplaining this at all, but like that that film, the main character Francis McDormand doesn't come in till the second act, Amazing. and that's like that's like very very rare. Like that doesn't happen in in movies. Like you're supposed to experience it through the protagonist, through you know the main character, the protagonist. You experience the film kind of through them. And for a protagonist to not come into the second act is like very bizarre. Um, and, and the Cohen brothers, like the way they knew the rules, so they knew how to break them. And so, right. and they didn't learn the rules without studying people very closely and knowing what they do and what they don't do. And, and it's just such a brilliant way that they do it too. Cause like my, my professor in college, Paul, the way he explained it was like, he was like, the audience is like this lost child, just like trying to find its way through through this film and they don't know who to identify with and there's all these bizarre characters and weird things happening and then the second act starts and there's pregnant Frances McDormand like the sweetest like North Dakota lady like the only cop I'll ever not say or ever say not a cab about like the only cop I think isn't a bastard is Frances McDormand in Fargo I'll go on the record saying that <laughs> and she's like pregnant and she's like this motherly figure that's like hey audience here, come here. I'm gonna. I know you're scared and worried. Like, I'm gonna take you through the rest of this film. Uh, and so yeah. I know that's like a long way to say that, but like you gotta know the rules in order to break them. Oh, that's so true. And I wonder. It's like, I wonder if the Cohen brothers were like nail biting their nails while writing it. Like, ooh, we're really like going against the grain here, and this is not what everyone else would have done, you know, and it's like taking a creative risk like that ultimately paid off, you know, but I'm sure mm -hmm. there were many critics that were like, wait a second, what are they thinking? Having, you know, the protagonist come halfway in the movie and, you know, yeah. it's like, 
I'm sure they were kind of like, well, we could get eviscerated for this, or this could be genius. Let's give it a whirl. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. I'd love to ask them about that if I could ever get them on a podcast. But a part of me kind of kind of thinks it's like, no, they were just writing Fargo, and Frances McDormand like was all in the first act, and mm. they, and one day they were like what if we, you know, what if she doesn't come in until this point? Or the way I understand how, like, films and movies are made, not that I've, I've ever, like, completed one, but I've tried. Um, <laughs> there you will. Is, well, is like, right. it, um, like, they, they, all of her scenes in the first act just ended up on the cutting room floor. They probably shot them, and then they were just like, it just works way better if she just doesn't come in. Till the, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't know where that idea came from. And if there were critics that were, like, didn't like it it's like well then they don't like one of the best movies ever made like fuck them you know it's like in big daddy like all critics are cynical assholes and that's why sticks never took off in america oh man do you ever <laughs> drive yourself crazy thinking about how subjective art is like it it literally drives me nuts and like a not you know gonna end up like sid barrett sort of way but like i'm just it's so it's so subjective to me especially i i mean i think music could is arguably the most subjective because it's like yes okay the macarena was massive but i really do think that a big reason why hit songs are hit songs is through repetition on the radio right like we've all been been completely guilty of being guinea pigs when it's like when you just hear something ad nauseum, you, your brain doesn't even make a decision anymore about whether or not it likes it. It's just like, I like this because I've heard it 20 times this yeah. week, you know? So yeah. I don't know. It's just like, you know, like, yeah, like you and I and a lot of 90% of the film world thinks Fargo is one of the best movies ever made, but there's a lot of people that hate that movie. So like, how are, yeah, why are they wrong? You know? Uh-huh. Why are they wrong? Well, it's just like, how do you consider, how do you determine if something is good or not in art? Like, and this is probably going down a rabbit hole. (laughs) Rabbit holes are, I mean, podcasts are, were invented for rabbit holes. Uh, Like, I mean, I I can say they're wrong about Fargo, but like, but also they can say I'm wrong. You know, you're totally right. It is subjective. And I, I don't know. I think like, it's but like in a way it's not because like what you said if you if someone hears something ad nauseum like eventually they're gonna like it so does that does that make it subjective it's like how they well i don't i don't know i don't know how this story fits in and i think i've told it before but the do you, you know about how they marketed the song hey ya like how they couldn't get it to take off and it's like no um, story it was like and this is like, you know, like telephone. I, I read this in a book. So uh, so if I fuck the story up and someone knows it, I'm sorry. Uh, but essentially, they couldn't get this song to take off, like this Outcast song. You know, they had had some success with their album before. And I think this their first major label release was like Speaker Box and The Love Below. And they couldn't get Hey Ya to take off because it's like a weird fucking song. It's like one of the, like, I always say if we were going to, if like aliens came down and we were trying to like, 
and they wanted to know like well, I don't understand like what's pop music and like that's one of the songs you put on the 10 song playlist is hey uh, at least in my book um but like it's a weird fucking song and they could especially for when it came out like the late 90s early 2000s and they couldn't get it to take off they couldn't get people to pay attention to it and and so what they ended up doing was getting radio stations to put it in the middle of like two songs that people really liked and requested a bunch. Oh wow. And so they sandwiched it between these two things that people knew they liked. And there's just this weird song that's got like these weird breakdowns. You know, hey y'all is just like not your typical pop song. It's no. like amazing now that now that we know it and now that we've heard it a million times and you're like, oh my God, it's like fucking they're geniuses. But they couldn't get people to like like it and then they did this blocking thing where they put it with other things that people liked and they pretty much like psych psychology got people to like it by associating it with other things that they already liked and oh. like requests for the song started going up like crazy and 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 yeah now and the rest is history we all fucking know and love that song or or maybe not love that song i love that song but some people probably don't um so That's like I try and um, I try and think of it from the point of view of like I know that what I make is good because there's people out there that really dig what I do. There's not a ton of them, but there's definitely people out there that, that kind of blows me away every time I, I meet one. Or um, yeah, but like there's se there's also seven eight seven billion people on the planet, um, and like propaganda slash marketing works. It just works on the human brain like like yeah. just like i said with hey yeah like so yeah if you've ever got signed to a label and blah and pushed in the right way and and sometimes people just catch the cultural zeitgeist in a way that like you can't even fucking predict that but like like all if you just keep making good music that you like and you know other people like eventually through like keeping on doing it or through someone giving you that opportunity and pushing it out there you know like that's gonna grow. But the only way you can do it is by releasing music. Like, you're not gonna get any fans with music just sitting on a hard drive. No, 100%. And that's why this year I, like, I promised myself, like, I'm gonna put music out because enough is enough. It's getting ridiculous, you know? And with the social drag stuff, like, I wrote those songs by myself in, in my room and I made the demo productions. I wrote the drum parts. I wrote all the guitar parts and, like, I remember writing them and being like, I like this song. And, and I think maybe I'm hopefully coming out of my shell a little bit in the sense where it's like, well, maybe it doesn't matter if other people don't like it because I like it. I like listening to this song. And not in a, like, blast my own shit, think I'm amazing sort of way, but in a, like, hey, like, you should feel proud about this lyric or this guitar part's really cool. And that came from you. You're the only person on this earth. They would have written that because it, it, it was you, 100%. No other, you know, nobody else was in the room when that mm -hmm. came to you. And, like, even if someone wrote something really similar, it might be, like, a 16th note off. It's just, like, the, the idea that it would be replicated is so, pro, like, not probable that you just have to kind of be, like, yeah, like, that, that is mine. It is mine. And mm -hmm. so, I don't know. I think I'm getting a little bit more, like, trying to just like fake it till you make it get behind yourself in that sort of real way and be like you know what like even if 
even if at the end of the day, like if, if it doesn't do well or people aren't really responsive and I end up crying in bed about like the lackluster response, like as, as well, I mean, like if I can just like portray and like put it out there and be proud of it, like, you know, I don't know. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the right mindset. I really think that's the, the mindset is, you know, and you can learn from that release, the things you like and the things you don't like, you know, and, and you can learn or, you know, every single time, like, I've, geez, I have the opposite problem, especially when I was younger, where it's like, I've got these songs, I need to like record them. And I, or I've got like, part of it was like having money, you know, I, I would like do some job or something like that. And just like end up with like a chunk of money and being like, and you know growing up with like not a lot of resources being that that scarcity mindset where you're like i either got to spend this or it's going to be gone so i would just like book studio time even if i wasn't quite ready and we'd record it and i'd get like and we'd make it and i'd listen to it i'm like ah this isn't really exactly what i want and or you know what i mean and i wasn't like 100 percent stoked with it but it's like i'm out of money and i spent my money on this thing so i gotta just put it out because I'm not yeah. gonna waste that money. You know what I mean? I gotta try and make yeah. some money off of it, you know? And uh, and yeah. that was, and so yeah, I have some stuff out that like, I, I can't, I don't listen to very much because I think that there's things about all of it that I really like and I really have learned to really love the person who made that music. And, uh, but also, um, you know, but also some of it just sounds like trash and I don't want to listen to it because it was just like kind of thrown together and not as prepared as, as I would have liked it to be. And I wasn't as good of a musician as like, like, as it required to make something good like that, you know, like nowadays, I think I could probably find the right musicians to be like on a budget, kind of try and make a thing because we're all like way more mature. We've got 10 more years of experience in like in playing in studios and, and, you know, um, but 10 years ago, I was not good enough to just do that. Absolutely. <laughs> no, and like, good for you. You know, I, I think about this all the time. Like, I'm currently, I had some sessions at this great, amazing studio in um, New York called The Creamery. And they were back in 2016. And, you know, I spent a lot of money on tracking this group of songs. And I've been sitting on them for like, well, one of them did come out, but I've been sitting on them for, you know, since 2016. And it's mm -hmm. just kind of this weird, like you just said, it's like I spent all this money, all this energy, the players were great, like all these things that I did for these songs, but I don't really feel like they're the best example of what I'm capable of doing anymore. Like I feel like my talent has grown. I've grown out of the songs. So like, what do you do, right? Do you release them and say, put your name on it and put a stamp on it and be like, this is, this is who I am as an artist? Or do you just kind of, unfortunately, like let them not, I don't know. I don't know what to do because I, I don't really connect with them anymore. And I listen to them and there's a lot of things that I love about these recordings, but I just am like, yes, but it's, this is, this is no longer the best example of my talent skill set. So what do you do? Um, you, I don't know, you make that decision. Uh, but I can't you know, help you. <laughs> I, I think you use it, like, I think once you're ready to make the thing you are excited about, you use that as a way to fundraise for your next record somehow, 
or you know what I mean, or raise awareness for the fact that you're making a new record and you need um, money for it. You know what I mean? And and like uh, that, yeah, yeah it's like. I've been watching Mad Men, finally. I've never seen it before, and I'm, like, watching it just, like, I'm on season three or something now. And, uh, and it's, like, I mean, I've always kind of had, like, a little bit of a knack for marketing, but watching it has made me a little bit more, like, whoa. But it's all, you know, just create a story, you know? And, like, the story is that, like, I I made this, I spent this money, and I, I did this thing, and I was just afraid to release it. But I'm releasing it now because I'm so excited about these new things I'm working on that I need to somehow make this make me a little bit of money. So I'm I'm doing Interesting. Uh, a little pre-order thing where I'm I'm, yeah. I'm making a hundred like handmade cassettes or CDs. I don't I don't know what people buy. Like <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like like I think because it's all part of your story and like you may not identify with it now, but like, as soon as the song's written and recorded, it's not for you to identify with. It's for the audience to identify with. And I truly believe that. Oof. God, I need to, like, get that tattooed on somewhere visible that I can see every day because I'm just so, like, we've been talking about, like, I'm so hyper aware of how I judge myself on these songs. And I'm just convinced that everyone else is going to do the same. And it's like, you're so right. And Kat's told me this so many times, too. Like, once it's done, it is no longer up to you. It, no, it, no one cares anymore how you feel about it. It's it's out in the yeah. world. That's it. You did your job. You created it. You know, like let let whoever listens to it make their own opinion. And like worst case scenario, they're like, this is the worst piece of garbage I've ever heard. Ugh, she sucks. Okay, but someone else is gonna love it. So why the fuck am I sitting here <laughs> like spiraling out of control about it? Like it's just. Ugh. God. Yeah. You want you want a therapist job? Cause... <laughs> um, I mean, okay. if you if I can charge what my therapist wanted to charge me, and I just was like, I can't afford this anymore. Uh, then yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. no, I uh, uh, I wouldn't want to charge my friends that much. There's a reason why you shouldn't like be friends with or know your therapist, because that that gets. Oh, yeah. This is a fun conversation, but I think after, like, five or six, you and I would have a much different relationship. I don't know if it'd be, like, a great <laughs> one. You know yeah. what I mean? Or, like, I, kind of, I just like how, how our friendship works now. Yeah. Um, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But uh, I think it would be really great to have a community, um, like, hang in Los Angeles where it's like, hey, do you guys want to talk about the how difficult it is to do what we're doing and, like, you know, vent about grievances, but also support each other. And like, you know, cause I feel like there's a lot of highlight reeling going on of like, Oh, it's so amazing to create and release. And I'm so lucky. And it's like, yeah, but we all go through the same bullshit too, of feeling inadequate or worrying about the response. And like, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like that's talked about as much as it maybe could be, you know, a collective amount of people just being like, hey, this is really hard. It's hard to put your name on something and throw it out into the wild and know that you're going to be, opinions are going to be formed over it, mm -hmm. you know? I, I No, I think it's that's true. That's, I think that's a good <laughs> idea is, um, you know, figuring out how to create that, that community or create that, that network of people. I, I 
I took a songwriting class from Courtney Marie Andrews last winter. It's been about a year. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, I guess it was last December. So, um, but one of the things she kept reiterating, because you had to write a song for every class, you know, there, there was like a, a prompt and then the next class you had to have a song to submit and you would go off in groups and listen to it and, um, and like critique or, you know, and, and just kind of, and it was, I've never really written on a deadline like that. I've been like in the studio being like, I got to finish this fucking last verse or whatever. Uh, but I've never, um, like I, I didn't go to music school or whatnot where there was assignments to like finish a song or whatnot. I've never taken a songwriting class. So, um, it was a really cool experience for me, but I also have that issue of like, I'll be really stoked about the first verse and, and the chorus or whatnot. And then like everything I come up with after that is like, doesn't compare to the first verse. So it's like, eh, eh. And then eventually you just like get burned out and move on. But Courtney said, one thing she said was like, um, don't judge yourself, judge the song, you know, cause like we're all going to write shitty songs. It's just part of the deal. You know, yep. we're all just gonna we're all just gonna do it. Um, but it doesn't mean you're like a shitty person or you're a bad songwriter or you're dumb or whatever I whatever things pop into your head. Just you just wrote a shitty song. Like it doesn't mean yeah. anything. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing she said is she writes a song a day when she's like in writing mode. <laughs> Sorry. And I uh and she's like and I was just like, How I like asked like how do you do that because like sometimes i know that like some for me sometimes inspiration strikes and i just write a song in 20 minutes and it's like holy fuck i don't even know what just happened and that's there. the best you know that's the best. Oh, it's, it's the best it's amazing and I, and I was like you know it's like i hit these blocks and i don't know how on the songs that aren't just like divinely inspired or whatever I don't know how to push past it. And she's like, yeah, that's why I give myself a deadline every day. You got to finish a song every day. And even yeah. if like the, the, the bridge is just joke lyrics, it's, it's a bridge. And eventually yeah. you can switch those out, you know, or like you can just abandon that song, but you got to finish that song by the end of the day. And I was oh. like, damn, that's, uh, that's, I mean, in her class, like I finished five songs in fucking two and a half weeks because there were two classes a, a week, I want to say. You know, and like a couple of them, one of them is the best song I've written in years, I think. And I wrote it in like, yeah, I wrote fucking, it was like stream of consciousness, wrote a verse and a chorus, like, like that. And then, you know, I was, I, I finished it a few months ago, like tinkering with the lyrics, but like within, um, just because I had that deadline and I was like kind of busy with other stuff at the time, some freelance work. So I was just like, I got, I got to finish this thing in 45 minutes because class is starting in 45 minutes. And I had like pretty much a song done. I love deadlines. I, I absolutely yeah. love deadlines. Um, one of the kind of tenets of the artist way is that, um, and this is, I don't, real talk, I don't do this every day. I want to, but I don't. Um, you know, is like basically first thing you do in, in the morning is, or afternoon, whenever you wake up, is open a journal and just write three pages. Doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you have nothing to do, to say or think, just, just, just open that channel. And I will say when I was on top of my shit and doing it, I was, I felt like a channel had been open creatively and I was just inspired more. I was writing more. Yeah. I was like, just like getting ideas and like, I don't know if you've ever read Big Magic from Elizabeth Gilbert, but that's another book on creativity. And her whole belief is that 
we as creatives are vessels for ideas. The idea does not come from mm -hmm. us. It is the idea is existing in this creative universe. And if it lands on a creative, it is their duty to, to execute the idea. And if it doesn't get done, it just moves to the next person. And she has this mm -hmm. amazing example. I'll try to be quick about this. Um, she wanted to write a novel. It was going to be set in 1920s Brazil about this woman who went and down there and met this, like, expat and gets in, involved in this whole, like, export murder mystery like very specific detailed and she never mm -hmm. actually got around to writing this novel because she wrote another book and then about a year later she ran into another author friend they hadn't talked in a year that author described how she was writing a novel and it was the exact same idea like two really? details yes and when i read that that chapter in the book i just I Sorry, you cut out. When you read that, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, can you, you said me? when you read that, I can hear you now. Um, it's just you so said when you read that, you were, like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, when I read that chapter in her book, I was just, like, blown away. Because if we can think about it in that way and take the personal ego out of it, like, how how comforting is that? It's like how the Greeks used to like the the word genius to the Greeks, and I could totally be fucking this up here, but like the person is not the genius. The genius visits the person. The genius is the the idea. You know, it's like mm. human beings themselves are not the geniuses. We are visited by the idea, and it is through us that it is executed. And like that just kind of makes it a little bit more comforting. It's like, you, you know, this pressure we put on ourselves as creatives and artists to be, like you just said, it's like, you're going to write bad songs. But like when I sit down and I, the first thing that comes out isn't fucking McCartney or Lennon-esque, I'm just like, I fucking suck, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like, well, but what if it's just that the idea wasn't quite there that day and it's fine. Maybe tomorrow it's going to be there, you know? But if you just kind of try to show up, a little bit every day and say like, okay, my creative channel is open. Like what you got for me. And, and, and think of it as just more like you're getting visited by these ideas instead of you being solely responsible as a flesh and blood human to produce the world's greatest art. It's kind of, kind of gives me a little bit of comfort and ego slack, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, trying to make it less personal, but also knowing like part of why we want to do it is because we because we want to put our personal touch on it. I know Elizabeth Gilbert would write a very different version of that book than her friend. It may be the same idea. Oh, totally. You know, and it's like that's the that's what I love about, you know, being an individual and an artist, but yeah, like making the inspiration part of it less personal and less tied up in like your own worth is like really valuable. And it's hard as fuck. I I mean, I have I've been struggling it's like I've been writing a lot with the guys, but I haven't been writing on my own, so I feel like I haven't been, I haven't been doing enough. Um, I can be pretty hard on myself if I'm not, like, meeting, like, unnamed quotas that just exist in my head due to my anxiety or whatever. Um, there's no actual numbers. I just know in my head, it's like, well, you're not doing enough. Uh, yeah. And so I – but – yeah, I mean, it's like the, the inspiration part of it is not personal. And it's also, it is a muscle. Like, you, you can, I, 
I was doing the artist way for a while too, and then I got Banjo, and my mornings just got kind of taken over by taking him out and everything like that. And I, uh, I definitely missed it. I want to get back to it, but I, I know exactly what you mean. Like when you open up that portal and you just like make it an exercise, it just becomes a stronger muscle, and you get better at like tapping into whatever it is that gives us ideas. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, if you want an accountability buddy, I got you because I also work. Hell yeah. Deadlines and accountability is what I need to get shit done, which is kind yeah, of. Yeah, but. I <laughs> know. Uh, I would love that. I uh, I also like the community you and Kat have both talked about in LA. Just have me super curious, and I would love to. Excuse me. Sometime this winter, I want to try and come out, even if without the band, just solo for a little while and try and do co-writes and you know songwriter things you know just to kind of like you know dip my toes in, in that world um I, oh, I would yeah. love to to hear about that i'll let you know when i kind of have like a time kind of planned oh, out please do. you can always and you're always welcome to crash in my studio room and i just would love to create with you and yeah yeah that would be awesome i think i'd love percent. to do a co right yeah one more time sorry did you were you just Complimenting oh, I was complimenting how amazing you are. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please finish your thoughts. <laughs> no, I've just been so stoked to, like, have met you this year. And, you know, for those who are listening, Guyville and Charles Ellsworth have now played, like, five shows together. And, yeah, we, you fine. know, it's like this, this loving, like, you're our, like, you know, husband, musical husband, and we're your musical wives. <laughs> I just, I just love it, and I'm really, really honored that you like had me come on here because I, I, just, it's, it's so fun to talk about this stuff. But it's, it's my religion, you know. Like I just, I love talking about it with other artists and and diving into like what goes on in our head and and how we get out of bad thought patterns and and just believe in ourselves more and all of it. So this has just been really amazing. So. Same. No, I, I really love that I've met you and Kat, or I knew Kat before, but that we've like kind of been playing together so much, <clears throat> excuse me, in the past year, because it's been less than a year since we played it, or it's been kind of around a year since we played at Hotel Cafe, I want to say. Yeah. Um, but it, it's been really cool, and I, I thank you so much for coming on. I love hearing more about your story, getting to hear, um, you know, more about like your process and everything like that. I, I'm sorry if I talk too much. Uh, I um, I would, before, I know we're kind of past the time that you wanted to be done with this, but I would love to, um, before you go, just tell me, you know, one more time, tell the audience about, like, what you're working on, what you're so excited, what you're mostly excited about right now, and where they should find more information about all that stuff, and find more uh, you want to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, so... Guyville, the duo, is me and Kat Hamilton. Um, we have three singles out right now. Our latest single is called Boys and Girls with Guitars, and it's about falling in love with musicians just because they're talented, but they're kind of fuck boys or fuck girls. We like to kind of lovingly describe ourselves as like Marin Morris meets Liz Fair. You know, we kind of have a little bit of country twang, a little bit of rock twang. We got some ballads. Um, we have a full-length album coming out February of 2023. It is currently being mixed 
and I'm really, really proud of the work we've done. We played almost everything ourselves except for drums with our producer, Mitchell Hauser. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. So that's at Guyville the Duo on all the socials. Um, I'm also releasing another single and then an EP for my rock project, and that's uh, we're called Social Drag. So that's at Social Drag Music on all the socials as well. I would really love to get my followers out. So, um, yeah, please follow me. I don't have a ton. I just kind of started building that brand a year ago. So, yeah, um, I have one single out. It's called Sparks. I have another one coming out soon. And then everything else I'm going to release in the new year, like, it's just kind of more, I don't know. I've been writing a lot of, like, electronic drums with acoustic instruments, kind of like metric portis head style, if if you will. Those are some 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 reaches. But um yeah, after I release the social drag E P and the Guyville album, I'm gonna turn my attention back into all the other stuff I write and some of it's for potential sinks hopefully or for other artists if I could ever get it to them. But I do, you know, I do have a a, a plethora of music that is neither neither of those forementioned projects that I will probably release in the new year. So that um yeah, if you just want to follow me at at M songs, E M M E songs, that's kind of my musical hub for all things that I do musical. And uh yeah, I uh I really appreciate any sort of interaction, you know, I would love to hear what what songs you like and there's a link to my very old EP, but would love to hear what you guys think about it. <laughs> yeah, new music coming soon. I'm going to make myself do it. Right? Face oh, or yeah. fear, no, head on. I, I love it. I love to hear it. And I, um, yeah, if you ever need some extra encouragement or inspiration, I'm happy to be there uh, that way. Uh, inspiration, that sounds kind of that's a loaded word. But, you know, encouragement, if you ever need that, uh, I would, you know, let me know. I, it's, I, I really like what you do. I really like, Guyville, um, so so much stuff. Uh, Social Drag is such a great band name and good band names. There's not a lot. I mean, there's a lot of shitty band names. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, yeah, I'm just so grateful to be your friend. And uh, me too. You're a wonderful, wonderful person. And let's talk offline about being accountability buddies because I think that'd be really helpful. You know, hey, Charles, you owe me a song by Wednesday at 3 and vice versa. Like, I know I need that. So if you want that from me, too, we could totally, totally switch off. I would love that because I'm currently working, and we can talk about this. We should probably just do it off the recording. So, But, yeah, I'm currently working on a project that I think that would really benefit from. Um, And I'd love to, like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. So let's talk about it. Um. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm going to stop recording shortly. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for being my, my dirtbag buddies and listening to my fucking podcast and me talking with my friends about making art and being dirtbags. Uh, check us out on the internet if you don't already. Charles.Smellsworth on Instagram. And follow me on all the music places. Charles Ellsworth, uh, thank you again for being here. Thank you. Um, you made me feel like a real rock star being on a podcast. How exciting. <laughs>